Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Listen now for a word from our Lord. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the net. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired man and followed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. So usually, I'm over there doing the long prayer, but I was, as my daughter asked yesterday, she asked, today, are you going to do the long story? And yes, <laughs> today I'm doing the long story. Y'all, I hope that you leave today's worship service, that you leave this long story with a deep love for the Gospel of Mark and for this little tiny passage that contains at least five sermons, but many, many more than that. Mark is my favorite gospel, and I was so excited when Holly sent me this text to uh, do a sermon on today because this is also one of my favorite texts. It's so small, but it has almost everything we need for the Christian life in it. It tells us what God is up to. It tells us who Jesus is. It talks about repentance, what it means to be a disciple. Now, I'm going to start this sermon with a word about the gospel of Mark. I don't usually do like a line-by-line -line sermon, but there's a lot in here that we need to unpack to understand it. Now, the Gospel of Mark is the shortest gospel in the Bible, but that's not the reason it's my favorite. I love Mark because it's the earliest gospel. It's the one that probably, we don't know for sure, but probably came first. And it's short because it's meant to probably be told in one sitting, like we would gather here and hear the whole story of Jesus together. And you can tell there's a sense of urgency to the Gospel of Mark. It's almost like bullet points. You know, Jesus did this, Jesus went here, then this happened, then this happened, now this thing happened, and this thing over here. And you can feel that maybe if there's enough time, the person preaching it might go a little bit more into some of those points. But if you have to do it all at once, these are the things you need to know about Jesus Christ. I want to remind us that the early Christians, the people following the way, those initial followers of Jesus, 
thought Jesus was coming back really soon. They didn't think there'd be a bunch of us sitting here a couple thousand years, years later listening to the gospel of Mark. They thought Jesus was coming back. You can see it in the letters that Paul writes. And so they're going about doing their things. They are following the way. They're forming communities. They're telling people about Jesus. But time keeps passing. Things keep happening. And around AD 70, something terrible happens. The temple in Jerusalem is destroyed. And the Jewish people are scattered throughout the known world all over the Roman Empire. And so, the Gospel of Mark comes into being at that moment. That's when someone said, you know, we thought the kingdom of God was going to come right now, but it's not coming right now. And so we're going to have to give to the next generation the story of Jesus Christ. We're going to have to communicate what this gospel means for our lives even today, even when it looks like God isn't returning anytime soon. And so someone put together the gospel of Mark for us today so that we would know about Jesus Christ. And that never fails to be beautiful to me. Someone put that together for us here right now in this room today. So what can we learn from today's bullet point? It's pretty dense, and there's a lot in there that we might not understand with our 2024 glasses on. In the first verse, we hear that John was imprisoned, and Jesus begins his work in Galilee. This is after Jesus' baptism, after the temptation in the desert, and we hear that John, Jesus' cousin, who was leading a religious movement where people were coming to repent, to be baptized, where John even baptized Jesus, John is arrested, and we know later that he is killed by King Herod. And this lets the hearer know right away that the stakes are high, that there is a cost to this thing Jesus is calling people into. And it also shows us right away that Jesus is willing to suffer for us. Even at the very beginning of his ministry, this really is the moment where Jesus takes up his cross. This is the moment where Jesus starts to turn toward his death. Now, why does Jesus start in Galilee? It really is kind of the middle of nowhere. It's rural. It's not cosmopolitan like Jerusalem. It didn't have a lot of foreign influences. But there was something happening in Galilee. And we can tell it from archaeological evidence. From about, for about 100 years or so, there was sort of a religious fervor happening in Galilee. People wanted to return to their Jewish roots. They wanted to know what it meant to be a person that is chosen by Yahweh, and they were trying to live out that identity in their everyday lives. There are people coming to Galilee to do sort of monastic lifestyles, to live in a separate way and be identified as followers of Yahweh. 
There are movements of repentance and baptism happening in Galilee. And so we can see that Galilee is a place where God has been at work already. God is moving in Galilee. God started to do something in the hearts of these people long before Jesus shows up. The path was cleared for people to respond to God's call. Mark says it a lot. The time is now. It's ripe. They're ready. They're ready for Jesus. And this is when Jesus steps in with the words, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. I have to admit, as a modern reader of that verse, I wonder, how is that such a big sermon? Why is everyone coming to Jesus because of that? What does it even mean? Well, there are some significant things going on, even in that one little phrase. First, it's important to know that Jesus is going around Galilee giving the evangelion, the good news, and that's not something new for the ancient world. They're used to hearing the evangelion. They're used to hearing good news, there's good news, and it was always related to the emperor, the emperor of Rome. Someone might come into your town and say, hey, there's good news, Evangelion. The emperor conquered a, a country and now we have more land. Or, hey, we've got this great new law for you to follow. The emperor is bringing you peace. You get to pay more taxes. So they're used to the good news coming into their lives this way. The Evangelion was associated with Rome and empire, and the emperor was sometimes seen as an anointed one, chosen leader of God. Sometimes the emperor even said they were God or the son of God, and they certainly were godlike. They controlled everything. They were all powerful. They were mighty. And so when this good news comes to you, you better bow down. Now Jesus is subverting this, y'all. He's going through the countryside saying, there's a new good news, a different kind of kingdom, a new peace. And the response to this good news is not to bow down as one conquered. It is to repent and believe. So let's talk about repentance because y'all, if I came in here with a list of things you needed to repent for as my sermon today, it wouldn't go over well, I don't think. I'd hear it on Monday for sure. So is this really calling people to Jesus? In my experience, some people do know that they're a complete mess and they need to change, right? Some people know it. I know it a lot of days. I'm a complete mess, but I don't want someone to come tell me what a mess I am and point out everything that's wrong with me and then see, say, aren't you better now that I did that? No, I don't want them to do that. And I don't wanna spend time with a person that points out all my flaws. And then there are others that know they're not perfect. Hey, I'm not perfect, but nobody is and I'm doing pretty good. I'm not doing really bad things. And so 
they don't really want to spend time with someone pointing out their flaws either. It helps me to understand this text, uh, to understand this word in another way, and that is turning around or returning to God. Jesus isn't going around calling people out with a list of things they did wrong. He's calling people home. He's calling people home. Jesus is going around with something entirely different than what Rome is saying is the good news. The empire Rome would say, the emperor's here, grovel, bow, you're not worthy. But Jesus is saying, God is here. God's kingdom is breaking in. It's right now. Turn around and come home. Believe me. And the word believe isn't like, you know, some facts that we remember about, you know, 1942. It is the word for faithful. Be faithful. It's a belief that requires action. So Jesus is there going through Galilee saying, God is here. Stop everything you're doing. Stop it all. Come home and be faithful to God's reign. And then Mark shows us how compelling this message is. Jesus walks up to two men fishing, Simon and Andrew, and asks them to follow him. And they immediately go. He asks James and John, and they leave their father in a boat. They run home to Jesus. They run home to God. Now Mark knows that the Jewish hearers of this story are going to immediately perk up when they hear what's happening. It's harder for us. But this is the story of Elijah calling Elisha. And just like Elisha followed Elijah immediately when he called, so too the disciples followed Jesus immediately. So Mark is telling us that Jesus has something in common with Elijah. The hearers of this text are going to be leaning in. What do you mean he's like Elijah? Is he a chosen one of God? A miracle worker? Does he go straight to heaven without dying? They want to keep listening. They want to see. And Mark wants the audience to identify Jesus with Elijah. He wants us to know that this person might be the anointed one of God so that we're going to accept the message immediately like the disciples do. And then when we say yes to following the way and we're present for the rest of the text of Mark, we'll see who Jesus actually is and what it truly means to be a disciple. And that is the brilliance of the gospel of Mark. Mark makes the hearer a disciple. Mark puts us in the boat and we say yes. Let's keep listening. Let's follow along. And from this point on, we've jumped out of the boat too and we're learning what it means to be a fisher of men. Now the whole rest of Mark is gonna be devoted to Jesus calling people home, showing them what the kingdom of God looks like, and it looks like food for the hungry. 
people gathered together who don't usually get along over the same dinner table. It looks like health and wholeness. It looks like the forgiveness of sins or the elevation of status for the poor, for children, for women. It looks like a commitment to God's call on our lives, even in the face of persecution. It looks like awe-inspiring worship and understanding that God wants a relationship with us like a father to a child. Mark shares with us that God is turning everything upside down, that if you want to be great, you have to become a servant, that holiness is all around us, that God can't be confined to a temple, a nation, or killed by an empire. And the disciples discover it all along the way, just like we do. It will always surprise, delight, and inspire me. I'm so glad that Stephanie mentioned it in the Time for Children. Jesus didn't call people that had it all together, y'all. Jesus didn't go to the greatest teacher at the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus didn't go to a high political figure. Jesus went to regular people. Jesus called people who are going to doubt, question, argue, even desert him. And we modern disciples, those of us who've been doing this for a while, sitting in this space, we know that discipleship is more than the moment you jump off the boat, right? We have centuries of the church to show us that following Jesus, it's a journey. Sometimes we're fishing and sometimes we're learning how to be fishers. But all along the way, and you see it in this text, we have gifts from God, what we call grace. We have the gift of provenient grace, God making a way and calling us home. We have this gift of justifying grace where we hear God's voice and know to respond to it and feel our, that we're loved, feel that we're forgiven. And we have this sanctifying grace that we're being formed into the image of God we were created to be. We're being made into fishers of men, repenting, believing, following, fishing. That's what it means to be a disciple. It's not a checklist. Lord knows I wish it was. I'm good at checklists, but it's not. It's a reformation. It's the changing of your whole life. Now, the disciples, just like Elisha plowing in the field, just like the hearers of Mark, maybe, probably, just like you and me, they're not out to seek a whole big change. They're at work. The work they know, the work their fathers knew, the work they teach their children, that's their identity. They know the world, and the world knows them. How many times have you said, that's just the way the world is? That's just how people are. Just yesterday, I got a weird phone call out of the blue from a stranger. I do not know them. And the question they asked me was, would there always be war and unrest? Did I think there would always be war and unrest? And I said, oh, I hope not. I hope not. That is my hope. But I will confess to you that one thing I thought was, well, people are people. And that's just the way the world is. Maybe these disciples, they want things to be different. 
Maybe they want more food, more money, more agency. Maybe they want to be more kind. Maybe someone is struggling with an addiction they want to put down. We don't know everything about the disciples, but it seems to me they're not looking to turn everything in their life around, and then they finally hear it. Jesus call. And they can't resist. Follow me and you will become, I will make you, I will form you into fishers of people. And in Jesus' call, they finally hear the voice of God calling them home to the people they were always meant to be. And friends, we have that same call today. Jesus longs to turn our worlds upside down and make them right-sided again. Jesus wants to bring you home. Mark is telling us from sometime after AD 70 when the world is falling apart, hey, wake up. Something incredible is happening. God is here. Stop everything you're doing. Come home. Come home and be faithful. Do you hear Jesus calling you? Do you hear Jesus? Follow me and you will become, I will make you, I will form you into fishers of people. And friends, I'm here to tell you it is true. When you start doing what Jesus did and said to do, when you follow the way, when you heal the sick, clothe the naked, visit the prisoner, care for children, when you seek peace, when you become a servant, when you don't seek to be first, when you stay close to God, you will see and hear things you won't believe. You will experience God's power and grace. You will be changed and formed. You will know the kingdom of God. You will come home. You will come home to the parts of it we can experience now and to the hope that we have for what is to come. Do you hear it, family? Do you hear the call? It's for each one of us. It's for today. It's for every day. God is here. Stop everything you're doing. Come home and be faithful. Amen. Thank you.